Ethical disclaimer. While Diana and I are psychologists, we aren't your psychologists. Reverse psychology, while hopefully fun and informative, is not a replacement for therapy. If you're interested in speaking with a therapist, please check out some of the links in our episode description. Also, Diane and I are both deeply passionate about psychology. Common with things you love, we may get frustrated, but at the end of the day, we hold sincere respect for psychology and psychologists. Now, on with the show. G, G, Q, T, Y, T, Y. Giggle quietly to yourself. Cuban phone. Okay. I got a Cuban burner phone. Cuba, you have a Cuban burner phone, a passport in a different name. Yeah, I do. Actually. You have a grand in euros. I, I do. Are you Jason Bourne? All those things. I think so. Okay. How are you? I'm tired. It's been a really stressful week. I can tell I'm getting stressed. Two things, two, two cues that I'm getting stressed uh-huh. and it's escalating. Okay. One is I left my uh, sunroof open oh, yeah. two days ago at work and it was raining all day long and i well, it wasn't all day long the last like two hours of work it was raining and looking out the window like 10 minutes before leaving i was like i just have to walk fast enough to my car and it'll be dry again and i beeline for my car open the door and there was a waterfall falling Aww. into it. <laughs> it it rained so much into my car that the water pooling in the cup holder pushed my coffee mug out of the <laughs> cup holder <laughs> It's it was a lot of water, so that was the first sign. I'm like, I sh- I need to slow down a little bit. The climax, which makes me happy that it's the weekend, is I just left to go buy us that Pacifico, mm-hmm. and I unlocked my car, walking to my car, opened the door, sat down in the passenger seat, <laughs> <laughs> and I paused for a second, and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? And I got out and like really quickly walked into the driver's seat and left. But I was like, kind of hoping someone in the world was watching me do that. Yeah, your decision making abilities are is really really impaired by your in, in times of stress yeah and, and like i said yeah the classic I've seen one that is, happened to you before yeah i'm really quick to like i'll stop my car and start to get out without putting it into park that's a big one or i'll like walk away without my car turned off that's like my classic stress sign can't believe you survived that divorce you went through i know you were like a land stepping on avoiding stepping on landmines my car i could never find where i parked my car because it was just coasting places <laughs> You also, like, stepped in a pile of needles once right outside. I, I did. And you broke I, your pants. I, you broke I, your pants. No, that wasn't a pile of needles. I was, I was also crossing the street going into work, and a car was a car ran a light, and I showed the slightest amount of hustle, tripped, fell, <laughs> tore my pants open, and I had to limp into work. And there's like a store attached to where I worked, and so I limped into there, bloody, <laughs> and I bought a pair of khakis, and a bunch of band aids. And iodine. And I put him on the counter. And the lady behind the counter looked me in the eye, slowly scanned down to just my blood-soaked pants and scanned back up. And she just goes, mm-hmm. And then she just gave me my shit. And then I just, like, sat in my office patching myself up like I was at war. <laughs> wasn't, it, wasn't it, like, also, it was, like, a snow pile, too, or something that you That was a different story. Oh. I was... This, wasn't, this one wasn't my fault. I was... Uh, There was a blizzard in Baltimore, and if you've never lived in Baltimore with snow, they have one plan. It is they also have one snowplow. Yeah, they have one snowplow, and their one plan is one 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 snowplow, one plan, and the their whole plan is 
make giant mounds of snow every eight blocks or so. And then when we get the time, we're going to get dump trucks and yeah. dump it into the harbor. Yep, that's right. So I was walking to work and one of those snow mounds was in front of my clinic, like the sidewalk I had to go onto. And I was running late and I was like, I can either walk two blocks up to get around this thing or I can climb it. I'm like, I'm going to fucking climb it. And <laughs> at the corner next to my clinic was McDonald's that was heavily frequented by drug dealers because it was also near a methadone clinic. Mm-hmm. So I climbed it successfully, mind you. <laughs> so don't think that this is all strife. I start going down the other side and I slipped, slid the entire way down the hill. And then I bumped into these two dudes and they both kind of stumbled back. And then between them fell a wad of really dirty $1 bills in a small baggie of what I'm assuming is heroin. <laughs> and I just looked at them and I just go, I am so sorry. And they, I, I've never seen two people so mad at me before. <laughs> but at the same time in my head, I was like, why the fuck are the drugs and the money in the same place? Yeah, like, you know Do that. you not get HBO? Yeah, the wire told us. You should know that. Remember when I, I was having to give myself B12 injections because yeah, I we would put have on, an autoimmune disorder and we'd put on Velvet Underground and pretend like we were junkies? I know. That was so much fun. And then you said, oh, you don't need a Sharps container. I can just... Uh, toss it in the street yeah. in front of my clinic? <laughs> yeah. I know where they dispose of needles. Yeah. Baltimore has a, a dirty needle dispensary program, which is called The Gutter. It sucks. And the mayor just got ousted did you listen to i don't remember what is on but they were talking about her books you know she wrote children's books and the reason she had to resign was because she took so much money from selling her children's books that she self-published to charity organizations that she supported she yeah got, like she made almost a million dollars from it you yeah, know she, she wrote a children's book that was not doing well it's a series of children's books i, th- I think it's about proper nutrition for young black women it's, it's something very niche yeah and it wasn't selling and then com- uh, healthcare companies that were up for contracts were like oh we'll buy fifty thousand dollars worth sure. of your books and right. she's like that's so nice of yeah, you yeah i'll give you the con i'll give you the contract yeah but also they were self-published and apparently they have like all kinds of typos in yeah them there's a and bunch of typos i don't want to get my hands on one of them i know we should dirty, dirty children's book. I mean, dirty money children's book, not. Dirty. Oh yeah, no. There's a full frontal scene in it. <laughs> it's mm. gross. Catherine Pugh, am I right? Yeah. Well, P- the guy. P-U. Poor Baltimore. Man, they just cannot get out of the shit that they live in. They can't catch a break. They really can't. I mean, everything is harder there. Mm-hmm. That, sh- that should be a bumper sticker. <laughs> Welcome to they, Baltimore. Everything's harder here. They, there was that one bumper sticker I saw in Baltimore that was like, Baltimore, I actually like it. I did like it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I missed it. It was fun being back there briefly. It was. It was good to see the old digs. Mm-hmm. How was your week this week? Um, Think about well, it. I have computer back, which is similar to puzzle back, but it's just a little bit higher. A little bit higher. Right? So like yeah. when you're doing puzzle work, and you're leaning over the table looking at pieces. It's kind of a mid-back. Yeah, like that, that, is a, that is a sharp pain to, to do is. puzzles for too long. We, do, we get puzzle back real bad I sometimes. Know. So I have computer back this week, which is like mid, between mid and upper back mm-hmm. pain. It's from really poor posture on the laptop computer. I've been doing a lot of writing this week, trying to finish up a manuscript. No big deal. No big deal. And get ahead of work for next week because I'm going to be gone. I know. Even though we're taping this before you're going to Cuba, it'll be out by the time you get back from Cuba. 
I am worried that this is the last time we're going to hear your voice before you get taken. Aww. I don't want you to. If, if something does happen, at least you'll have this. Yeah. I'm going to be making out with my iPhone <laughs> while you have those sounds playing in my ears. This is going to be, if this, if, again, I don't want you to get taken. But if you do, the, the very next scene in this drama they're going to make out of this story is me in the house in the dark just playing this over and over and over again. And just then, your voice. Just like just your my, voice. I cut it together so it's just my voice. <laughs> it seems so dramatic. It's like, oh, that guy's super narcissistic. And then a, a Cuban man comes to the door and he's like, I heard you need help. I was like, why? Okay, let's do it. Hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be okay. I think you are. I think you're going to be safer there than here. I'm 95% sure I'm going to be okay. And the other 5% you're going to be like, fine. Yeah. Like, 90- I mean, I've done way, like, I now thinking back at some of the traveling shit I did. What's the most dangerous traveling oh, shit you've ever story. taken? Well, <laughs> Mike just made himself laugh so hard with that. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of like diarrhea. Other than that, my week was good. That's good. Um, do you want to hear my most dangerous? Oh yeah. Sister? No, no, no. I was going to tell you not my da- most dangerous diarrhea. I sometimes think about like, if I could get a piece of knowledge, mm-hmm. like if, if like a, a wizard came up to me and was like, hey, like I can give you one thing that you'll know, um, like what do you want that to be? One thing I often like think about is like h- how many times was I like pretty close to dying? Because mm. I feel like... Uh, why w- I wouldn't want to know that. The, I, oh, I mean, because I feel like there's times where I feel like, oh, that seems like it was really dangerous. And then sometimes I'm like, eh, it probably wasn't that dangerous. And I feel like there's a lot of times where I was so oblivious to how close something bad was going to happen i was just like it would like I, I can't imagine how many times i've been driving anywhere and there's a near miss that i was just oblivious to because i was just like not paying attention mm-hmm. but i'd be cool if that wizard was like these are the 13 times you're almost hit by a car hmm. and that one time you thought was badass you were nine miles from dying you're fine well let me tell mine and then you tell yours yeah you you tell me yours and i'll tell you mine All at right. the same time so i i think that i would make better travel decisions now than I did I would hope so when I was like 20 you know like you like the extended adolescence period now that they so goes to like 24 Rom Springer 25 no not for Amish people no it's it's not an Amish thing anymore it's 2019 baby (laughs) no we all do Rom Springer it's the like extension of the life stages because we grow so old now so Mm -hmm. you know like adolescence technically goes to like into your 20s so whatever i'm at now so it's like that idea like you are invincible and nothing's gonna kill you so i had a lot of that when i was doing a lot of traveling which mm. is a bad combination or maybe not i mean maybe i did you know i didn't die and so now i have the stories but probably the scariest thing when i was traveling around south america i was in the northern part of chile and i was like oh that's there's this like really cool salt flat area in bolivia you can like hire this driver Alrighty, this is a great story. Yeah, hire this driver to take you across the salt flats. And like this was before, I don't feel like this was not before the internet, but like 2004 was like that not, was, it wasn't. Oh, four? Mm-hmm. Like cable internet like just happened. Like there were internet cafes yeah. for sure, but like no one had like access to Wi-Fi or wherever. In fact, so I was in Chile from 2003 through 2004, so a couple years and i mean it could have been like three days if it was 
like December, December 28th no, to January. Almost two years. I'm so, using that counting method. So when I came back, I remember, wait, what was first? Friendster? Friendster, Friendster. Was, the, was the OG one. Yeah. Okay. So I remember Friendster being a big deal when I was there and being like, okay, I'm on Friendster. And then, Are you still on Friendster? I don't know. Probably. Why haven't you accepted my request? My <laughs> then, I've been checking every other day. Like, why doesn't Diana accept my friend, my Friendster request? So I had Friendster, and then when I came back, I was talking to Eric, and I was like, what's this new stupid thing called My Place? And he's like, oh, you mean MySpace? It was like I was making fun of something that was way cooler than the fucking Friendster thing that I was on. Oh, man, you missed out a lot. Do you remember on MySpace that... When you would open a web page, and it would just be music blasting? Yeah. Oh, I love that. When I lived in L.A., I had a friend who had a really weird roommate. Her song that would come on was that Peter Bjorn and John that was like. (laughs) You know that one? If you tell me something. Yeah, that one. Yeah. We think we got it. Um, And so that was her song that played whenever, whenever you signed on to her page. And she would hear that many times throughout the day coming from his oh, room. <laughs> that is so upsetting. Man, I feel like MySpace would just like rat out people's feelings so often. So, yeah, I was in the salt. I hired a, we hired a guy to take us across the salt flats. It's okay. like a two-day trip. How did you find this guy? Well, yeah, so it's bef- kind of before the internet. So I think at that time it was like just like word of mouth. Like, you'd meet other travelers, and they'd be like, oh, talk to this company. In the town that we were in, there was, like, a storefront. Like, you know, one of those, like, take our tours kind of place. Yeah. It's, like, not legitimate, maybe. Yeah, it's, like, handwritten. Yeah, it's, like, kind of shady. It's like, I'm Javier Uber. (laughs) So dumb. Okay, so I will say that it was a three-day trip. Okay. The first day... You'll go up to, so you have to, go, you're in the Andes. So, so this place that I was staying is already like, I don't know, like a mile up. What's a mile? 5,000 feet? 4,280 4, feet. Really? Isn't it? You just had like a Rain Man moment. <laughs> Isn't it? I don't know. I'm not going to Google it. Okay. Well, anyways, we're like a mile. It's a mile. I've seen miles. So if I were to run straight up, it would take me about six minutes. I'm going to Google it. Oh yeah. That's exactly how it works. So I measure distance. How fast I can run it. 5,280 feet. Okay, we're going into the Andes. Like, I don't know what, like, height is. Like, uh, or no. Like, what? Not height? Is that what we call it? Height? <laughs> elevation? Yeah, I don't really know, like, about elevation stuff. So, okay. I mean, I know about it, but, like... You've heard of it. I, we don't have mountains that big here in the contiguous New- United States. So, you have to drive into the Andes over the Andes, essentially, into the salt flats, which is, like, super high up. Okay. The shady company was like, Tolly, we'll take you the first night we go to this, they said, refugio. At the time, I was like, well, I'm pretty sure that means refuge. So it means, like, a shit shack at, like, the highest like peak. An, like an outhouse. It, it was the worst night of my life. Oh, so baby. we went from, like, that mile up to over... I think almost 15,000 feet. So we went it, We went up so far so fast that people were passing out. Wow. Yeah, like there were a couple other Americans on the trip, and there was one that fell next to it. She was walking around. She f- passed out, 
right next to a geyser that was Ooh. like 400 degrees. And I was like, this is so dangerous. I was so sick. They were like, oh, here, chew on these coca leaves. Just shoving them down. So, so you're like, just like, have some coca tea. Have this coca gum. Have this line of coca. Yeah. The next two days were pretty okay. The food was amazing. I don't know, like at lunch, the guy we'd So stop, well seasoned. The guy would like open the back of his like SUV, fucking whip something up. I don't even know. It was delicious. It was mm. so good. He would make us those meals every day. The last night, so everything was like, okay. The last night was really the close to death night. So a lot of people stopped in this town called Uni and then went on to travel in Bolivia. There were like four of us who tried to get back to Chile because that's where all our stuff was. We needed to go back there. The guy who drove us back to Chile, we drove all night. He was wasted totally wasted and there's no roads you're on like this giant salt flat he was like i have to stop at my mom's house on the way out of town he stopped and i think he got more drunk probably it was like an hour His mom got came back up. out he's like we're good so <laughs> then we take off maybe two hours into the night he slams on the brakes he gets out i swear to you he picks up and brings back to the car a baby lamb oh and he's like this belongs to that town over there. I don't know how he knew. So Oh, he, you 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 would know. So we book it over to this tiny town and he's trying to get the lamb to like the owner and people are saying different things about who it is, whatever. So when we take off there, we get a flat tire in the middle of nowhere, literally the middle of nowhere. He gets out. He's like, "Stay in the car. We'll be fine." Maybe 20 minutes later, we're like, "Is that a bike pump?" Is he blowing up the tire with the bike pump? (laughs) He sure was. That's amazing. He had a spare, I guess, that uh, was also flat that he then had to pump up with a bike pump and then had to use a rock to like, I don't know. I don't know what you do when you change a tire, to be honest. Have you ever changed a tire? I, yeah, I I understand the mechanics of it. I don't know. know. It's different down there. Yeah, because it goes the other direction. So... Like, I'm not kidding, an hour went by, and I was like, fuck this. So I got out of the car, and I looked up, and I've never in my life seen the Milky Way. And it was the most incredible sight I've ever seen. It was, it was like this combination of, like, amazing beauty and this surreal experience, also on the verge of death. Yeah, and, like, a bunch of Chileans slamming a rock against a car. Oh, he was Bolivian. Oh, what, he was Bolivian? Yeah. That explains it. So, I mean, the story goes on and there's on, a, but, like, There's that's a lot of beauty in near death. What's yours? Uh, when I was 23, I was working a job that I really hated, and I was really bad at because I hated it so much. And then I was making plans to leave. And I applied for graduate school and did not get in. And at that same time, I... My supervisor called me into her office and she's like, you're doing a pretty shitty job. <laughs> and um, what do you like? We're going to put you on like a remedial plan. Like, what's your what's your like deal? And I was like, I'm going to quit. And she's, she's like, you're quitting? I'm like, yeah. She's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to go to Africa. And she was she like thought I was being sarcastic because if you like most of my life is I'm just being sarcastic. Yeah. But then like two weeks later, I was on a plane going to Uganda. I was like, yeah, I'm 23. I am completely single. I like felt very like isolated in my life and i was like ah, it's like the most dangerous place i could probably go to and so i, w- I went to uganda to like live at an orphanage and like teach and stuff <laughs> i went to uganda to go live in an orphanage <laughs> 23 year old white male yeah i don't know where my mom is <laughs> yeah my parents abandoned me so i uh 
it, it felt very surreal going there. And then like I get there, I get picked up and the guy who was picking me up worked at the orphanage and he, it was just like very, everything was very surreal. But like, there's a couple highlights that this could be a much longer story, but the very first night he takes me to what he called the hotel. And pretty quickly I realized it was a brothel because I, I was laying in bed trying to fall asleep and I couldn't because I, two people were having very loud aggressive <laughs> sex in the next room. And so there was like a little cafe next door that like I noticed walking in sold beer. And so I was like, I'm just going to go like have a couple of drinks. Like I'm very jet lagged. And so I went and I got it and I was drinking this beer on the front porch of this like little shack and men kept bringing in women and then leaving without the women, like 15 to 20 minutes later. And I was like, Oh, we're at a brothel right now. This is, were you the only white person? Oh yeah. So in Uganda, the derogatory term for white person is a mazungo. And so people would just like walk up and point in my face and scream mazungo. It was like a very fascinating thing for them. So I was, I lived there for a few months and then I had a flight scheduled. I, I got to an internet cafe. I scheduled the flight to go back. So I like, that's about time I go back and went back to the main city. And I was like, I'm going to get the best hotel room for like three days and just like shower, which I haven't done in like months. I'm going to like shit on a toilet with a seat and just like eat and like relax. And so the first two days it was, it was, if it felt like the scene from uh, apocalypse now where I was just like, drunk in a really nice hotel room just like doing nothing and then the morning i was gonna leave i was like i kind of feel like achy but i also haven't been doing a whole lot and i had like a van ride to the airport and i got into the van i was like oh i kind of feel sick so i asked the van driver to wait and i like went to the bathroom and took like a massive diarrhea and i was like oh that feels better <laughs> take a massive diarrhea. <laughs> yeah and then i got in the van and i sl- you have a massive like it, you don't it had it, it yeah it, it had, had me yeah yeah exactly and so the van it was like a it was supposed to be like an hour van ride but he also picked up anyone on the side of the street that was waving to him and it got to the point where i crawled over the back seat into like the hatchback area because i was feeling so sick and i'm like i'm just gonna lay back here and he's like okay and he dropped me off at the airport and i walked to the front door and it didn't open fast enough and i started feeling really woozy and so i just laid on the bench in front of the airport for a little bit and then i finally was like i gotta get inside i was like if i can get through and get to like a food court i'll eat i haven't eaten all day and so i go to like the first kiosk area and i I later learned that there's like three layers of security. The first one is just like you print your tickets and then you go to like the ticket counter to show your ticket and then you go through security. And so I tried to skip the first one by mistake and a man with an AK-47 pointed at me and he's like yelling in Lugandan and I was like, I don't know. And then at that point, because I was so sick and tired, I was like, well, this is going to be, I'm just not going to leave this place. So then I laid down, I went back to that same bench and I laid down for a while. (laughs) And then finally I was like, all right, my flight's in like an hour. I need to get in. And so I I figured out where I was going. And then I got to the last security check and I had like a cart with my bags on it. And I rested my forehead on, I was wearing a white dress shirt and like khakis and I rested my forehead on my arm. And then I picked up my forehead because the line moved and it was just like gray with sweat. And I looked at a, a mirror that was like across from me and my lips and skin were the, both the color of paper. I was just like so pale and m- mind you, every 45 minutes I was going to the bathroom, just like something was going to come out of me, some hole. And I finally got through security and they like asked me a bunch of times if I was sick and I was like, no, I feel great. And, in th- but in my head I was like, oh, they think you're on heroin. Like you look like you're a junkie. 
And so I finally get to the into the uh, place. And then right before I got on the plane, I remembered Casey, you know, Casey, one of my best friends, he's a doctor. And right before I left, he gave me an, an unmarked bottle of pills and he was like, these are the strongest antibiotics you yeah, can possibly take. Yeah, my dad used take. to do that shit too. It's yeah. crazy. He wouldn't tell me what they were. He's like, if you ever get sick, just take them as fast as possible and keep <laughs> taking them. And I, I, I was so sick, I forgot. And then I like sat down and I was like looking for money to buy a cheeseburger because I was like, cheeseburger will make me feel better. And I pulled out these pills and I was like, pills will probably make me feel better. And so I took like as much as I could fit in my mouth and I started feeling better. But then I was on the plane it was just air that was like escaping from my body as fast as possible. <laughs> and so I pressed the call button and I was like, can I get like two pillows for my head? And she's like, okay. And then the, the moment she turned around, I just sat on the pillows and I was just like farting so aggressively <laughs> the entire flight. Were and your it, parents freaked out that you went to Africa? No, I don't think so. Yeah, they were, they, I, I, I would be, I would not be surprised if I found out that they did not believe I actually went. Cause I, I told them I was going kind of last minute cause it was kind of last minute thing. And then I came back kind of unexpected. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back to Reverse Psychology, the best and only podcast that we know of about psychology. I am Dr. Mike. I'm Dr. Diana. And by round of applause, how do you feel? Come for the Wait, what, oh, what's the tagline? Come for the psychology, stay for the comedy. No, that was last week. What's the new tagline? No, that's, <laughs> that's our tagline for if you're that's, feel- it. that's it. That's going to be it. Okay. Come, 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 come for the psychology. Stay for the comedy. Okay. But psychology is what like peaks people's interest. Yeah. Comedy is and they're like, oh, they're funny. Keeps people. Oh, they're kind of funny. Diana, you have a whole notebook full of stuff in front of you. What, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about science and pseudoscience. Okay. Do you know what pseudoscience is? I feel like it is fake science. It sounds scientific, but it's not. I feel okay. like our podcast is sometimes a, a pseudo podcast. What? No, I'm just kidding. We're a good we podcast. We are evidence based and nothing else. Yeah. So, this website from like, I I don't know, maybe 2004. Ooh. Oh yeah, it's on a GeoCity site. Yeah, no, it's it's hilarious. It's hilarious how old it is, but it was like one of the best ones I found on like just straight and dirty. Quick and dirty? I can find you way better straight and dirty stuff. <laughs> if you Google straight and dirty. One time I had okay, this. Okay, I um, get it. What? One time uh, a guy in college I was friends with, his brother came to stay with him. And he was like, can my brother crash in your room? You have a couch in here. I was like, all right, that's fine. And then his brother was like, can I check your, my email on your <laughs> computer? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so I was like watching TV and I looked over and he was on like Google Images. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, nothing. I'm like, all right, it's time for you to go to bed, ma'am. And then I went to go close my computer, and he had just Googled the word porn. I was looking at the images. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what a fucking weirdo. (laughs) So indiscriminate. All right. This guy, Quackwatch. It is. Is his last name? No, it's. He he has a full other name and a PhD. Rory Coker. He had a good breakdown of like, what is pseudoscience? In terms of like how you identify it. But what I want to start out with, there's actually a really good Scientific American article from 2011. It starts out, climate deniers are accused of practicing pseudoscience as are intelligent design creationists, astrologers, UFOologists, parapsychologists, practitioners of alternative medicine, blah, 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 blah. So then he says, the way that this started being talked about was this idea of 
the demarcation problem. It's like in What's the, that mean? It's in the late 1800s. It was this idea, this burgeoning idea that there's a difference between real science versus fake science. Basically, the idea is fake science has no litmus test. There's no way to disprove it. It's like it's done in a way where you can't study it. Or you study it really poorly. But So he says the demarcation problem of finding a criterion to distinguish between empirical science, such as the successful 1919 test of Einstein's general theory of relativity, and pseudoscience, such as Freud's theories, whose adherents sought only confirming evidence while ignoring disconfirming cases. And that's actually interesting because from like a... Like when you talk to uh, Freudian people or you look at the research, quote unquote research, whenever there's disputing evidence or they can't find the effect they're looking for, often they point to like, oh, it's the unconscious. You can't study that. Like you just have to have faith in it. Right. Exactly. Which is right. Exactly. What makes something not. Is it right? Right. 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 So Popper, the original guy who came Carl? up with. Was his name Carl? Carl. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, meant to, <laughs> I meant to say John. Oh, Carl. <laughs> John Popper is from the Blues Traveler. All right, so Karl Popper declared falsifiability as the ultimate criterion of demarcation. So whether or not you could say, like, the opposite is true. Yeah. Right? Well, so this is interesting because now there's a debate about what it is because so many aspects of science are non-falsifiable, such as string theory, neuroscience theories surrounding consciousness, some grand economic models. So there are certain things that we can't falsify. So it's just evolved into a really interesting debate. But one of the things I wanted to point out is in this article, they say there's no one person in the history of the world that has ever identified as a pseudoscientist. There's no one who wakes up in the morning and thinks to himself, I'll just head into my pseudo laboratory and perform some pseudo experiments to try to confirm my pseudo theory with pseudo facts. He's never met me before. (laughs) There's people who are scientists who study scientific theories. And then there are other people who just come up with ideas ideas yeah Yeah. idea men he says for example i call creationism pseudoscience not because proponents are doing bad science they're just not doing any science at all and the idea behind pseudoscience is whatever believe whatever you want to believe if you that's a a slippery slope no here's the thing though when pseudoscience is bad is when it injures or harms people right as long as you're believing things whatever you can you can go i I don't even i like People want to get tarot cards read. Or... That, I, that I don't give a shit about. Well, and if they want to spend their money and that's fine with them yeah. and it gives them some peace if of mind. If you want to get cold red, that's fine. The idea is that when it's really harmful to even on some level consumers, right? Like if you are someone like I had a friend who had a lot of issues with infertility and got so desperate that she was like trying everything. Did she like, go to a witch doctor? She basically went to anyone and everyone under the sun. Ooh. Anyone who would offer her help. I mean, she's probably spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars because you're so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that's when it becomes problematic to me. When yeah. like, when there are people who are doing things because they are working with vulnerable populations and taking advantage of them. Earlier today, earlier, I mean like two hours ago, I went to Publix to get wine and beer for us for this taping because it's a Friday night tape and we're getting lit. And I thought, oh, I, I want to get some pseudoscience while I'm here. And so I was first I looked for those like um, thin newspapers that are like Dr. John's Wonder Medicine. And they didn't have them because it wasn't like a Whole Foods. But Whole Foods is like rife with that bullshit. So I looked at the area for sleep medicine. And I took a bunch of pictures. Yeah. And so I'm looking at my telephone right now for people who are not in the room with us. 
just the two of us and consistently so there's things like dream water and lucid shots and rest calm shots and all of them are touting like we are going to give you the deepest sleep the most restorative thing ever and then then that is like a desperate population people who can't sleep people have insomnia and every single one of these has some sort of combination of Natural blend. I was going to say natural. Natural blend, which is 150 milligrams of natural blend. GABA, 5-HTP, and melatonin. It's just like some combination of those. And really, melatonin is doing the heavy lifting. Nowhere on the bottle is like sleep hygiene and healthy things. I saw a patient a couple days ago who was coming in with a chronic insomnia. And I was going through the whole history of like things you've tried. And I started talking about melatonin, like the stuff it does. And they were like, you know, I've tried everything I've tried. And then she listed like, she was like 30 different forms of these shots, these pills, these like waters that you can drink. And she's like, and nothing's helping. And so I pointed to like very behavioral things like, yeah, you, you can like turn your phone off a little earlier and like go to bed on time. And she's like, yeah, just like, do you know any other, like, like what, which one of those shots i'm taking which one of those are going to work she's desperate but she wants that answer i mean that's we all do i mean it's like the same thing with like autism treatment do the evidence-based interventions that take a lot of work and a lot of time and you have to change a lot of things about your house and your behavior and all this stuff or you can drink bleach and i don't want to i don't want to be the bad guy here and play the, the devil's advocate but i've been drinking a little bit of bleach every day and i still don't have autism Going back to what you're saying too, I think that the difficulty with this pseudoscience stuff is also oftentimes science, they they have like the burden of honesty where you can either do this really arduous treatment for autism, which is like completely restructuring how your home runs, your behaviors, and it'll have like small to moderate effect, or you can drink bleach and get acupuncture to this large effect. But the... The thing that's crazy is like, it's the same thing we've talked about on here before, like with heuristics, these therapies don't work, Yeah. but for some reason it fortifies their belief in them. What do you mean? People say, I started taking my kid, this is a common one. I started taking my kid with autism, horseback riding. It's clearly not working, but the parents will report, oh, she's so much better now. Things are going really well. Yeah. Cause you're. You have this vested, in, it's like a cognitive dissonance type thing where the whole idea of cognitive dissonance, like you can't have two competing ideas. You're a caring parent, you're doing this thing that might not be working. And so to make it fit, you have to kind of selectively choose what you're looking at. To feel better, I'm not going to be putting all this energy in for it not to work. So yeah, she's doing, she's so much better. And like her dressage is just on point. I'm going to tell you the top things that let you know that it's pseudoscience. Number one. Pseudoscience displays an indifference to facts. This is like a loaded number one. Pseudoscience is bullshit, number one. No, basically it's the first edition of a pseudosciences book is almost always the last. You never revise your theory. This is how it works. This is what we believe and that's it. The earth is flat and the earth is flat. Like yeah. there's no evolution. There's nothing, right? So it's just, well, and there's no, there's no rigor to it. Yeah. The next one is pseudoscience research is invariably sloppy. I see that a lot. I see that in psychology too, where there's like pseudoscience studies where they're like, this dangerous intervention is really helpful. We tried it on four people and of it, two it worked with. So it's super helpful, but there's no control groups. There's no, no, there's no rigor. There's no stats done a lot of times. Pseudoscientists clip newspaper reports, collect hearsay, cite other pseudoscience books, and pour over ancient religious or mythological works. 
They rarely or never make an independent investigation to check their sources. What's really interesting about this is... What's really interesting about this one? The research team that I work with is doing a large research synthesis on effectiveness in education. There are very, very few independent studies on charter schools. So... This isn't a leading question. I just legitimately don't know. Yeah. This makes me think of Alcoholics Anonymous where... Mm-hmm. There's very, there's almost no research on mm-hmm. AA because they are so they they block research actively. Mm-hmm. They right. feel like that's it, exactly what. So I was going to ask. It, okay, yeah. th- that's what I was curious. They do their own investigations. Okay, because that, that's the same thing with with Alcoholics Anonymous. They say like we we do internal research, and we don't publish it for the anonymity of it. And I'm not saying AA doesn't work. It helps a lot of people, but it also blocks any scrutiny over how does this compare to other treatment options right. exactly and that, i mean but that's interesting with the charter schools where it's kind of the same thing where they block the research so they can kind of say whatever they want yeah 100 percent. and like it's really messy because no two unless they're like a group of charter schools that are owned by the same people mm-hmm. you know then no, there are very few charter schools that are alike and so they yeah. all kind of run different programs and they get all this money from the federal government i mean mm-hmm. But my the friend amount, Betsy said that they're the best way to go, though. <laughs> the amount of money that the federal government throws at charter schools is maddening. That probably means that they're, they're better, though, right? Uh, uh, oh. I can't. I, I can't even. I just can't. Like, it's it's so frustrating because we we know we know what will work in education. We just don't do it. Because it's not sexy. I was thinking about this the other day, though. Someone was telling me that they work in a school district around here that... They're not really supposed to teach evolution. <laughs> if they allude to it, they have to emphasize that it's just a theory. I mean, and gravity is also just a theory. I was, it just, my soul died a little bit. A little, don't, don't let it kill your soul. It just, it, do, it does though. This is where our children go to be educated. Mm. Stuff like that though makes my soul feel very combative. And this isn't straight pseudoscience this is like trending towards pseudoscience where i was in a, a clinical meeting and this guy was presenting data and he said and this is like the direct order of what he said he goes the treatment i've been doing has been shown to be extremely effective while it's not statistically significant it's clinically significant <laughs> and yeah yeah you could be statistically so bare minimum is so something can be statistical but not meaningful so like i can do a therapeutic treatment that might raise your score on a depression scale by one and it might be reliable but one doesn't matter so that's statistical but not clinical whereas if the stats say it goes up by 10 points yeah that's very clinically important so i where your soul may have died mine like started taking steroids and I was like, oh, you have to be an asshole to this guy. And so I was like, can you explain that idea again about the statistical and the <laughs> clinical thing? And he's like, well, you have to understand that stats can always capture everything. I was like, really go on about that. That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, look, it, I'm not defending this person at all. There are so many people out there doing research who have a, it, I don't even a garbage background I, research. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to like disparage anyone. No, no, I, 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 I just, I, I feel like you get. It's like people get enough to be dangerous all the time, yeah. and so then we're in this situation. But let's talk about pseudoscience more. Yeah, right? let's talk about pseudoscience. Pseudoscience begins with a hypothesis, usually one which is appealing emotionally and spectacularly implausible, and then looks only for items which appear to support it. Conflicting evidence is ignored. This one is, so pseudoscience relies heavily on subjective validation. So what does that mean? Joe, so I'll read to you what this guy did, said. Joe puts jello on his head and his headache goes away. 
to pseudoscience, this means jello causes jello cures headaches. Yeah, so this is like an over assumption of causality. It's a total overgeneralization of yeah. like any subjective finding. Yeah. I feel like a hallmark of a lot of uh, pseudoscience, especially in healthcare, successful pseudoscience it really toes that line of making you terrified and then immediately giving you hope. So I see a lot of this like fake science around PTSD where like, I have patients coming in where like, hey, I need we need to change our treatment plan because I found out that there's this and they'll show me and it's like therapeutic muscle stretching, which is basically like stretching your muscles to the pain point will release blah, blah. It sounds very scientific, but mm -hmm. it's like there's no basis to it. But it gives them hope because it's like this is going to guarantee to get rid of it. It's going to be very fast. It's going to be very effective. It took x amount of years to get to this point it's going to take a while to get back from it and anything that says it's going to be fast it's going to be un it can be undone really quickly can we talk about gwyneth paltrow oh goop she is probably one of the worst offenders i of think she, she is the face of pseudoscience she totally is that's a great point can we start a campaign against gwyneth paltrow i i feel like people have i mean i don't mind her as like an actress i think she's a terrible person for <sighs> talking and and like some of the shit like the what is it the there's the, like an ovary? the jade the yeah. jade egg that is i'm that currently using about? and not helping at all so she is confusing her bullshit strategies with just being wildly wealthy if you just shove this jade egg in your vagina every day... It awakens your spiritual chakras. It's $66. Yes. But that's what, what, my, it, that's what it doesn't say is, too. though, you also need to actively make $2 million a month for the, for this to work. You also need to be able to like eat and live like she does for it to be effective. No, I mean, she's terrible because she has all this notoriety and she she uses it to position herself to make money off of people who believe what she says and she sells terrible things like Yeah, for a high amount of oh, money. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I feel like this a Side note, I love that we're really tying together our episodes. We, we often use this heuristic, this shortcut of like, if we, if I know you, I'm going to trust you right. more. And so we, we put this false trust into celebrities. It's also why I really driven nuts when kind of nonsense celebrities go to rock the vote campaign things. Like I remember when I was in college and it wasn't, it was uh, when Bush was up for re-election against Kerry. Two people from the real world came to my campus to get us to vote for John Kerry. And it was at this rally. So I went to him, like, this might be cool. Maybe they have some information. And they're like, fuck George Bush, right? Who wants to know who I fingered in the hot tub? It, that was my response. I was like, what the? And, and I was like, why, why, what the, why the fuck are you telling me how to vote? You're a fucking moron. But I feel like pe people use that shortcut. Like, oh, I know you. I recognize you. I trust you. So I. Okay, I want to distinguish between a couple things here. Okay. In education, we talk a lot about this idea of evidence-based practice, right? So things that we know that work for certain things. There are certain reading interventions that actually do help students improve in their reading, and then there are ones that are not empirically based that have not been shown to yeah. improve reading. There's the gold standard in psychology and education and healthcare and all this is that something's evidence-based basically means that there's a decent amount of studies across a decent amount of people that yeah. say that this works right yeah. the gold standard being the randomized control trial where you mm -hmm. have a group that doesn't get it a group that does get it the group that does get the intervention 
surpasses the group that doesn't get intervention yeah. by a good amount, yeah. whatever you're measuring. And then you, like, there is a best practices where it's, then you like get an independent group to do the same study right, exactly. and replicate I mean, it. I and think it's like three different team research teams across. Yeah. And there's whatever. a threshold for what like what is right. clinically meaningful. There, and that's the, whatever. We're not going to get into the weeds with like no, no, but I think it's like it's. Means. There's evidence-based, there's emerging evidence, and then there's truly some programs that are really small and like don't have the backing of a university or funding to be able to study them. You don't know if it's evidence-based because you don't have the resources to really prove that they are or not. Right. But if it's derived from research, like if mm -hmm. it is similar to other things that ha are researched to be effective, then you can kind of cobble together components and like have a research-based type of intervention. Basically with pseudoscience, we're talking about unscientific. So you literally could not study it if you tried. There's mm -hmm. no true... Or you could study it, but there's no studies on it. Because you can study if the cabbage diet helps you lose weight, but there's no research on it. Mm. It's still a pseudoscience. It's explaining like, oh, cabbage that's has true. this one one gem in it that gets... gets well, but there's not. it's not research-based. Th that's the thing. Is like right. you, you can study, but there's no studies on it. Right. And that's the big thing because looking at the quality of research because case studies, while great, they're not the best style of research. And, and, and even regardless of what the research is coming from, like looking at like what theories are you pulling from? What research are you pulling from? Because no idea should come out of nowhere. Well, that's the other thing. If you get a fact, you get information that your theory is incorrect, you you, you dismiss you completely it. Completely dismiss it. Wait, and, well, that's, I think that's the, it, yeah, that is the big distinction because oftentimes for real stuff, if you get hard facts against it, you modify your theory. You try to make it adapt to whatever the new, the new information is. Whereas this is aggressive discrediting or like conspiratorial stuff. Let's continue this topic. I okay. want to continue it next time. Let's wrap this up and... Any any last minute updates, things like that? Oh, you made a Twitter account. I made a Twitter account. So if you want to see me, what I'm doing in my brief moments at work when I'm free, follow us at... We had a baby. It's a boy. Rev Sightcast. At R-E-V-P-S-Y-C-H-C-A-S-T. So follow us on Twitter. I'm going to be tweeting a bunch of just random articles and stuff like that. Follow us on Facebook because uh, you get a chance for the for the T-shirts, which yeah. we're gonna start making, yeah. and we're gonna start selling yeah. out some. Uh, we're just gonna be giving away free stickers. I want you to post them on every fucking thing you see. All right, I gotta go to bed. Okay, it's bedtime. I love you. I love you. I'm gonna miss you while you're in Cuba. Mm, I'll be back. I hope you better be. Okay, bye. bye. You're always friends with Tom. What's happening? I mean, the ring isn't going off, so I don't know what it is. Stop. We're recording. So unprofessional. Who let these dogs in here? Baha men? Was that you? <laughs> you know what that song was about? Ugly women. Yeah. I know, it's, it's mean. really sad. I thought it was about equality. No, it's just about <laughs> Who let these ugly bitches in here? I'm just imagining the person that's so heartbroken over the Bahamut song. Like, what? My Bahamut? <laughs> no. <laughs> Itu Bahar? <laughs>